Well, hey, you guys, welcome to the Connection Point Worldview podcast. It's a podcast designed to take you as a parent or leader or a guardian deeper into places that your student has already gone. Uh, my name is Ron, and I'm here as always with uh, Pastor Trey Shigley and Dr. Zach Breitenbach. They head up our Worldview program here at Connection Point Christian Church. We're in central Indiana, and uh, this particular podcast series is a part of a senior worldview series. This is week three, guys, and uh, we're just doubling back to uh, learn a little bit about what you covered with the seniors recently. So um, for week three, what 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 topic did the students uh, request for this? Yeah, so uh, as we mentioned in our last podcast, we let them pick the topics for the last two weeks of the, the three-week series. And so in addition to picking a Q&A that yeah. we uh, did last week, which yeah. was really fun, uh, they picked... Uh, what is the big story of the Bible? How does it all fit together? Mm-hmm. Kind of if you were to sum up the story, Old Testament through New Testament, what's going on? Uh, and then what happened in church history after the Bible? Like yeah. since Jesus, um, what's happened? And that that's what they wanted uh, to learn. And I, th- I think that's great. Um, so we kind of framed it. Um, we had talked in the first week of the series about what a worldview is and a worldview story. Um, so we, we, we frame this in, in the sense of a worldview story. The Christian worldview can be described as a story where every story has sort of a, a beginning. Uh, how did we get here? How did humans in the universe get here? Uh, sort of a problem, you know, why is the world screwed up? Um, and then a fix to the mm-hmm. problem, uh, if there is one. How, how do we fix this problem? And then a conclusion, where does it all end up? Where is human history heading? And so we're gonna um, we're gonna kind of address that big uh, story arc that addresses those main questions. Um, and so there's all these little stories of the Bible, you know. There, there's all these, you know, there's David and Goliath, you know. There's the, there's the ark, and then there's Jesus. And there's you know Daniel and the lions. And you got all these different stories. Well, what's like? Where is it all going? What is like the overarching story? Yeah. And uh, and how does that work? And how does it answer? You know, the big. The big question. So that that was the topic uh, for this week. So and so to say story doesn't um, doesn't necessarily just mean fantasy or fiction, right? But and it that's is good, this big narrative. Yeah, yeah, every worldview has a sort of a story. To it could be described as a story, right? right. In terms of how it answers the big questions yep. of where we came from, the problems with the world, how you fix it if you can, and where it all ends up. Yeah. And so these are taken to be not a fictional story, but a worldview is basically um, how do you take reality to be? How do you yeah. uh, understand reality uh, in terms of its core, in terms of the big questions of uh, life and, and a worldview guides how we live? And so a worldview story is how do you take uh, this story of life to be? Where did, yeah. where did we come from? Why is it messed up? Where is it all headed? That kind of thing. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, okay, so as the as the the Word of God, the Bible is the the true story of the whole world. Then, maybe, Trey, can you give us kind of the summary of maybe the major scenes in the big worldview story of the Bible? Yeah, if we were to split it up, um, we kind of we see that the Bible has almost like a six step structure to it. So uh, you have creation, and that's you know where did everything come from? God created everything. Uh, and he specially created humanity made in his image and everything was 
uh, pure and good and holy and in right relationship with God and each other and the world. Um, and so everything was, was great in the, the Garden of Eden. Uh, and then the next kind of phase of the, the story is the fall. So this is kind of answering the question of what's wrong with the world, right? Like why, if everything was created great, then how did we get to where we are now? Because <laughs> yeah. everything is not perfect right now. Um, and that's talking about how humanity rebelled against God, broke a relationship with them, centered, entered, entered the world. The world became broken and fractured and people have this fractured relationship with God and with each other and the world. Um, and then the next phase is kind of this preparation phase, this preparing the nation of Israel for the coming of Jesus. And so it's the majority of the Old Testament. So there's a lot of stuff going on. But at the end of the day, uh, everything is kind of pointing forwards towards Jesus, whether that's the sacrificial uh, system where they're having a to sacrifice animals to kind of cover for their sins, or maybe that's the kingly line where they're, uh, it's looking forward to a king whose reign will never end, or um, you know someone who will perfectly obey the law. And so all these things um, are being revealed to the nation of Israel. They're chosen and set apart to be a blessing uh, to the world and to reveal um, who God is to the world. And then the next kind of phase is where we enter the New Testament, and that's where Jesus shows up. He's the culmination, the climax of the story, the main character, the main point, uh, the hero. And so he saves us through his life, death, resurrection, um, saves us from sin, brings us back into right relationship with with God. Um, and then he founds and starts the church. And that's kind of, it, it's his believers the as a group. And they're given a mission to go out into the world, tell people about Jesus, bring them into the family of God and to teach them to obey um, and become more like Christ. And then there's the, uh, that's kind of the phase we're in right now. And then the last part of the Bible is Revelation. It's all about the final judgment where everyone, uh, where Jesus will return, everyone will be judged. Um, for what they've done. And then the uh, righteous or the people who trust in Jesus to make them righteous will enter into heaven. Those who don't will have eternal separation from God. And then the entire universe will be remade, a new heavens, a new earth. And once again, we'll live in peace, harmony, and uh, goodness and right relationship with God and each other. Cool. Well, that's a good flyby. Can we go through each of the six scenes there and hit a few highlights? So um, can you tell us about the opening scene, creation? Yeah. So a lot to say there, but in a nutshell, basically, we talked about how uh, from the very first verse of the Bible, it talks about how God brought everything into existence. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, or in the Hebrew, the Shemayim, which is the heavens or the sky, everything that's above you, and the Eretz is everything below you, the earth. So this is sort of a Hebrew idiom for the universe. They didn't have a word for universe uh, or a full concept of that uh, back then, but they they understood that God made everything. He made the sky, the stars, everything above you, the earth below you, he made the full scope of of all things. He brought it into existence, and he did it in an orderly way. And we see that with the creation days, you know, even the first three days where God creates boundaries, and the second three days he fills those boundaries. It's a very orderly and structured way that God created. Uh, and he made humans as sort of the culmination of his creation, and he made us in his very image, unlike everything else in creation that he had made, uh, we are in the likeness of God. We are uh, we have qualities in common with God, of course, far below his perfection. 
um, and we're able to relate to God and we're able to love God and love each other. Um, and we share in, in, in some of those qualities. Uh, and, and, it, and it culminates by saying after making humans, God made it not just good, but, but very good. Um, and, and everything was in order and humans were in a right relationship uh, with God. And that's how it all starts. Awesome. Well, so then how do things take a turn for the worse? Because we know they do in the second scene. What were some of the teaching points there? Yeah. So uh, Satan enters the scene, the enemy of humanity and of God, and tempts Adam and Eve and tempts them in several different ways, kind of uh, that there is this kind of pleasure for your body, like the fruit looks good, it looks tasty. And Um, you know, it's good for food, but then also drawn to just what looks good, your eyes, right? And tempted through uh, Eve's eyes and what she sees and what looks good to her, and then pride to be like God. And so Satan is tempting them in multiple ways. And at the end of the day, he's really causing them to trust in themselves more than trusting in God um, and choosing to try to do things on their own instead of relying um, uh, on God and believing that God wants what's best for them and has what's best for them. Hmm. And so they choose to rebel against God, to disobey, uh, and sin enters the world. And that's falling short of the moral law of God. And this isn't an arbitrary law that God makes up, but it's actually just birthed out of his very nature. It's it's doing things that are against the nature of God um, and who he is and how he has created the world um, to be. And that introduces so many negatives into the world. Hmm. Um, We see uh, kind of right away some of the effects that are um, told to Adam and Eve that they will experience. One of them is pain and childbearing, uh, which (laughs) every woman who's, you know, had a child, I'm sure, can attest to. Like, yep, (laughs) that was not fun. (laughs) Um, uh, So thanks, thanks to Adam and Eve. Uh, difficulty working for food. Like work was a thing before the fall, but it became laborious and difficult and uh, hard to scratch out a living here in this world. Um, And then physical death will happen eventually. So death kind of entered the world in that way. Um, But spiritual death happened right away and people became dead spiritually and separated in this relationship with God. Um, So those are kind of the effects Um, of the fall. And so we can see the world is broken. It's messed up. And even nature itself doesn't operate right. The world itself is fractured. Um, And obviously humans as as well in the relationship with each other. Um, But we see a glimmer of hope uh, at the end of the um, kind of passages about the fall. And it's this prophecy, this this hint of good news. Uh, and it's in Genesis 3.15. And God says that he will put hostility between the serpent and the woman and between uh, the serpent's offspring and the woman's offspring and the offspring. There, there's this descendant of the woman will strike the serpent's head and the serpent will strike his heel. And so it's this prophecy looking forward to a descendant of Eve who will one day be harmed by the snake, but will crush the snake. And that's kind of the through line of the Bible, this anticipation of a person who can save us from the fall and bring us back to what we were designed uh, for. And so it's that first whisper of the, the anticipation of Jesus. 
That's awesome. So uh, that gets us through the first three chapters, guys, of the entire <laughs> Bible. There was a and uh, Genesis 1 through 3 covered. So scene 3 covers the rest of the Old Testament. <laughs> Zach, tag, you're it. Sum right. that up for us, the rest of the Old Testament. Yeah, so uh, God promises to bless the whole uh, world through Abraham. Abraham's going to be a very important uh, figure here, uh, as well as uh, his sons, Isaac and Jacob, and from Jacob you get the the 12 tribes of Israel. In fact, Jacob's name became Israel, which is where you get the name of the of the nation of, of Israel. But when God promised to bless the whole world through Abraham, that was ultimately fulfilled uh, primarily through Jesus, right, who is the uh, savior of the whole world. The sin problem that was introduced uh, in the earlier scene of the story has got to be fixed. And so it's going to be through Abraham's descendants that this is going to happen. And so the nation of Israel, which came from uh, Abraham's uh, grandson Jacob and his 12 sons, this, this nation of Israel was called to be a holy nation by God. And they were a special nation chosen by God to be different and set apart. Holy means set apart. To be set apart from these other nations around them which did not follow God and were wicked. Um, but what we see as we look through the whole Old Testament is they repeatedly uh, draw near to God and fall away and draw near and fall away. And there's this cycle uh, that you see repeated. And nobody that comes through the nation of Israel or, or any human is, is going to be able to be uh, the savior of the world throughout the whole Old Testament. Um, but ultimately, there is a prophecy that there is going to be a Messiah who would come and who would, who would be a descendant of Israel's second king, this great king, David. Um, and so this is going to be an important foreshadowing of, of Jesus. And uh, we also see eventually because Israel repeatedly fell away and God warned them, that if you do, there's going to be consequences, they were eventually uh, conquered. Uh, and you see they were conquered by the Assyrians the the uh, the Babylonians, eventually Alexander the Great, and ultimately in 63 B.C. by the Roman Empire, which kind of leads us up to the time of Jesus. And for that last 400 years, from the time of uh, the book of Malachi was written, the last book of the Old Testament, until Jesus shows up, there's this 400 years of silence. Um, and Israel's just waiting for their Messiah to come that's been prophesied, uh, but he hasn't showed up yet. Um, and so that's kind of where we leave off heading into the New Testament. Well, that's a good setup then for scene four, which is such a pivotal scene. Uh, tell us how Jesus is the center of the story. Yeah, Jesus shows up on the scene. And uh, essentially, if we learn anything from the Old Testament, it's that humans can't fix themselves and they can't make a way uh, back to God on their own. And so uh, God, through the incarnation, becomes human and uh, Jesus shows up on the scene and um, he one of the very first things he does as he starts his ministry is he's taken into the desert and he's tempted by the serpent by Satan and uh, tempted three times and every single time he proves that he is not like the first Adam but he is the second Adam he and he will not bow to the serpent. He will not rebel against the father. He will not um, seek to uh, make himself great, but he actually chooses 
the role of a servant. And so, uh, and it begins this process of crushing the serpent. Um, and he does this in a surprising way because the Israelites are expecting a Messiah to save them, but they are expecting maybe a more physical reality of a kingdom, someone who will rescue them from the reign of the Romans, who will establish the the kind of kingdom of Israel again, the, the city, the temple. Um, and yet Jesus has a far greater mission in mind. He's uh, If you're rescued from the Romans, that's great, but you, you will die at the end of your life. Um, sin still wins, death still wins. And so he actually is on a mission to free them from the greater enemy, uh, which is sin and death. And so he does this in a surprising way by dying. Um, and just like the foreshadowing of sacrificial lambs in the Old Testament that could only kind of temporarily cover up the sins of the people, he is the perfect sacrificial lamb. And by his death, he atones for, he takes away the sins of um, all people who put their trust in him. And so, and he doesn't have to be sacrificed over and over again, like animals did, but once and for all. And so he's this ultimate sacrifice and he did what none of us could. Uh, he, he put us in a position to be in a right relationship with God through him. And um, so he uh, creates this way where we don't have to work our way to God, but it's actually through faith and receiving the gift, the free gift of salvation through him. Um, because while we we're still sinners, he died for us. So it's nothing we've done that earned it. It's only out of pure grace and love um, because God must punish sin because he's good and just and holy. Um, and yet he loves us so much. He made a way through punishing all of sin of all of humanity um, through Jesus on the cross giving us a way to enter back into um, a relationship with him. That's literally the greatest story it's amazing. <laughs> ever told. It's I don't want to rush past just these are not just scenes, but yeah. I mean that that right there is like such a the, the best moment in history, really, uh, at least so far. <laughs> uh, so scene five, the church age, that's where we are now. Um, what are some of the main points you made about the church? Yeah, so before Jesus uh, ascends into heaven, which just means rising up into heaven, he gives kind of a uh, a job description to his followers. We call it the Great Commission. It's kind of what they're uh, told to do, go do. And it's to go and make disciples, um, teach them to obey, uh, baptizing them, right? So it's uh, kind of this mission that was really hinted at all the way back in the Old Testament through Abraham that there is a chosen people, but it's not um, for them to just to be blessed and keep it all to themselves, mm. but it's to be a blessing to the world. And so uh, the first followers of Jesus, they were all Jews. They were mm. Jewish. Um, but right away, they start spreading it across the entire world because Jesus wants not just the uh, descendants of Abraham, to come to follow him, but the entire world to be saved through him. And so um, the the letters of the Bible kind of show us what does it look like to follow Jesus in real life. Um, they're written to address maybe issues or to encourage people uh, or churches. And so they kind of give us good guidance on what does it look like to live that out. Um, and the church is um, kind of not a building. It's not a specific church, like Connection Point Church, uh, but it is all believers. 
And they are the body of Christ, and Christ is the head of the church. He is the authority that everyone who follows him submits to. And um, the body of Christ is made up of many members, obviously, because it's everyone who follows Jesus, billions of people. And they're all unique and given different gifts. And those gifts are meant to build up the body and to glorify Jesus. And so there are some of us who have the gift of teaching or some who have the gift of encouragement or of generosity or of evangelism. And everyone is uniquely gifted um, and are encouraged to use the way God has wired them to build up the church and to bring praise and glory to Jesus and to bring more people into the family of God. And so that's the age we're at right now. We are a part of the church. And the church isn't just for people to be hanging out with each other, but actually to be on mission, to be um, kind of outward facing, where we gather to be encouraged and to worship and to pray. But then we scatter to uh, tell other people about Jesus and to do good works um, in the marketplace and in uh, the different arenas of our life to bring God glory and to make the world kind of pockets of Eden, pockets of heaven, where we are bringing the kingdom of God wherever we go. Awesome. So even though Jesus has has conquered sin and death, the, the culmination of this doesn't come until the sixth and final scene. So, uh, Zach, you want to talk about that one? Yeah. So uh, it started off where everything was very good. Uh, then the world was broken by sin. But now uh, when Jesus came, he did conquer sin and death, but we don't immediately see like the end of physical death. We st- we're still physically dying um, and things haven't been made uh, perfect. Uh, they haven't even been made very good uh, like they were in the garden. But but then the, cer- the story is not going to just come full circle back to the way it was in the garden. It's going to be even better. Mm-hmm. So some people like to describe this as, as restoration, right? There's like the creation, the fall, and Jesus saves us, and then it's a restoration, kind of coming full circle back to like a restoration of the very good state in the garden. But that's not really accurate mm-hmm. because it's, it's a perfection. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the garden, things were very good, but there was still the possibility of sin, mm-hmm. and, and that became an actuality mm-hmm. uh, very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, although we don't know very quickly. Who knows how long they were in right, the garden. Yeah. But, <laughs> but it probably didn't take them too long yeah. uh, before it happened. Certainly within one generation mm-hmm. of, of humans, it happened. Mm-hmm. So uh, this scene is coming back. Uh, to perfection. So Jesus is going to return. There's going to be a resurrection of the dead. Uh, there's going to be a judgment of all the dead, uh, saved and lost. And if you have not accepted Jesus as your Savior, you're going to be judged according to what you've done, and that's not going to go well for you, mm-hmm. uh, for any of us. We're all sinners. And so uh, those who have accepted Jesus or are going to be able to live with him in the new heavens and new earth. And we said earlier that uh, the heavens and the earth kind of refers to this, the totality of all things, the universe. Well, there's going to be a new universe, uh, a restored one that's even, not just restored but perfected. It's going to have uh, no corruptions, um, no effects of the fall. We're not going to suffer. We're not going to die. We're going to be in God's direct presence. Our relationship with God is perfectly restored. Um, and so it's it's coming back to that very good, but even better than very good. It'll It'll be... Uh, it'll be perfect. Uh, and so we want to enter through the narrow gate, as Jesus says. We don't want to miss out on the whole point 
of the story. The whole point of the story is for us to enter into this and end up in this new heavens and earth and and end up back in this unbroken relationship with God. And just like Jesus talks about the the story uh, of the prodigal son, uh, that's how we are, right? We run away from God. We spit in his face. We're rebels against God. And yet God runs to us and he makes every effort um, to draw us to himself. And he does draw us to himself. And so uh, our role in the story is just to to say yes to Jesus. Say, yeah, I want to be part of how this story ends. I don't want to walk through the wide gate that, that is the easy gate that leads to destruction. I want to walk through that narrow gate and, and end up uh, where I was supposed to be in this, in this story in the end. That's awesome. That gives the, the good flyby of the entire Bible. Um, but if we double back just for a little bit, we're in this particular moment in history where it's Jesus through the church. The church is, is active. It's all the stuff after Jesus rose and yet not yet to the full uh, culmination of what God has planned. So I know this is super hard, but can you sum up the book of Acts and church history <laughs> yeah. uh, in a nutshell? Yeah, that is that is a challenge. Um, and and I encourage the students to really read the book of Acts. It is, it is great. And to study church history. Um, so, yeah. So now we're like, okay, well, this is kind of the story of the Bible in a nutshell. But then, yeah, what happens after Jesus? He, he ascends. Okay, then what? So that's where the book of Acts picks up and talks about, uh, it's called the Acts of the Apostles or Acts because it's about what the apostles, the leaders of the church did, uh, their actions and how the church progressed from the time Jesus left. So Jesus ascends, he leaves the Holy Spirit with us to indwell us and empower us. And we talked about the day of Pentecost and how significant that is. We talk about how the book of Acts is the story of the Holy Spirit bringing Jews and Gentiles into the fold to follow Jesus. Mm-hmm. So at first, uh, all Christians were Jews. There was uh, the, the book of Acts says there was only 120 at first believers, and they all met together. Uh, the day of Pentecost, you get 3,000 more. Uh, the Holy Spirit comes upon the believers. Peter gives a great gospel sermon. 3,000 more people are added. The Jews don't like that very much. Uh, there's a lot of tension. There's a lot of persecution. Uh, ultimately, uh, Stephen gets stoned, this great Christian leader, and, and Saul is leading the charge to uh, execute Stephen. Uh, Saul is persecuting the church and arresting Christians, and we talk about how Saul ultimately becomes this great Christian leader, how uh, Jesus appears to him, and his, his name becomes Paul, and he uh, writes uh, many of the books of the New Testament. Uh, and the letters that you read in, in the Bible. And uh, through persecution, the, the Christian faith spread, and you see that in the book of Acts. You see how it's, it spreads to the Gentiles through Cornelius, a Roman centurion, who becomes the first Gentile to accept Christ. And then kind of the book of Acts transitions from kind of focusing on Peter in the early part to Paul and his missionary travels. And uh, these are just fun stories to read. You know, you got shipwrecks and yeah. stonings <laughs> and, you know, snake bites and uh, yeah, prison breaks. Yeah. All kinds <laughs> of crazy stuff. And it's, it's really fun to read. Um, definitely not a boring read at all. Um, and so, so uh, that's a little bit about the early church history that we read in Acts. And then just real quick, we talked a little bit about what kind of happened in church history since then? And we talked about this period of persecution uh, up until uh, 312 A.D. 
Um, and then with Constantine becoming the emperor of Rome, who was favorable towards Christians, and then persecution of Christians uh, ends at that point with the Edict of Milan in 313 AD. We talked a little bit about how there were these, these big church councils. There were seven kind of all-church councils where Christians from every part of the Christian world would come, and they would work through the controversies of the day, which mostly centered on just Jesus and uh, the Trinity mm-hmm. uh, in particular. Um, and not adding anything that wasn't in the Bible, but just saying, hey, there's heresies that people are saying, like uh, Arianism was the first great heresy that they dealt with at the first council, Nicaea, uh, claiming that Jesus is a creature. He was made. Mm-hmm. He wasn't you know, eternally God. And so the, the church met and said, no, that's not right. And so over uh, 325 AD to 787, you have these these seven great councils, which Christians, all, all parts of Christian. Uh, Christianity today will widely recognize that these are um, these councils are, are, are good. Though as Protestants, we uh, the Bible is primary over any council uh, decision. Right. Um, then we talked about how in 1054 there was this first major major split in Christianity because uh, you, you know why do we, how do we have all these denominations and Christian groups? Well, this is the first really big start of that where. Uh, the the Roman Catholic Church and the Eastern Orthodox split, and we talked about kind of a little bit about how that happened. Then we talked about how in 1517, Protestants uh, broke off from the Catholics, and a little bit about Martin Luther and some of the reasons. You know, he wasn't looking to break away from the church, but he did think there was a lot of corruption and some some false beliefs going on, um, and so he. Uh, through his protests of those things, uh, the the Protestant uh, Reformation began, and then you have a bunch of groups that ultimately splinter off from that, and you get Lutherans, Presbyterians, and the various de- denominations. And then we talked about how there was another split from the Roman Catholic Church that happened in 1534 with the Church of England when uh, King Henry VIII who was a real scumbag, uh, honestly. Uh, <laughs> he really was. Uh-huh. And how he, he broke away from the church because he wanted to annul his marriage with his wife and the Pope wasn't going to let him. And a uh, whole series of events, Henry says, well, I'm going to start my own church and I'm going to be the head of the church. <laughs> and and from the Church of England, you get other groups. You know, you got, you know the Anglicans, you got the Episcopalians, the Methodists various groups that you that that come from that so there's there, that's just a little bit to give them a taste of like uh, some of the major um, developments of, of denominations in church history obviously there's so much in right, church history right. and that doesn't begin to scratch the surface yeah well that's, that's worth something. studying on its own and yeah. you actually did it you you gave a good <laughs> enough framework to <laughs> okay. hang, hang my hat on several things there so that's super helpful um, as we send out uh, the, the parents, um, maybe just with a discussion question this time to uh, chat with uh, their student about what what would you recommend as a good discussion question for this time? Yeah, I mean, we would always encourage you to be asking a lot of questions about what your students learned if they're in the lesson, you know. Uh, but I think one great one would be asking your student, hey, how would you sum up the main story of mm. the Bible? And can you do it in, you know, uh, 30 seconds or a minute. A lot faster than us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hopefully hopefully they can do it faster than us. 
that's brevity is not always our strong point. But <laughs> uh, yeah, so ask your student, can you sum up the story of the Bible? And then maybe um, on top of that, how does that apply to your life? How does the story of the Bible apply to your life? Or what was your major takeaway from the lesson if you were in the lesson? So that'd be a great question to start with. That's super. Well, thanks you guys so much. Uh, super helpful. And uh, if you've got questions about Connection Point Christian Church, you go to cp.church and that's a good place to begin uh, reaching out uh, to connect with some of us here on staff or uh, find out a little bit more about the church. Otherwise, God bless you. We're praying for you and we'll be back before you know it.